On the virtual Bible study tonight, it's Church 101. You know, Jacob, when we were in college or, or in our studies, you know, 101 was the basic course. If you had English 101, that means they're going to, that's at the elementary level, very basic but essential necessary things you learn in a 101 class. So this is Church 101. We're going to talk about some really basic things concerning the church that I think a lot of people are missing out on. All right, you want to bring your notebook and your number two pencil because we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April twenty second, two thousand and twenty one. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you, Jacob. Good to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls. Good to be with you, Kyle. It's good to be here. Just the three of us tonight. We had a big crowd last week, but uh, just the three of us tonight. Yeah. But you're on the other end of the line tonight, and that's what matters. Yeah. Because you can participate at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And if you're watching us with the live video feed tonight, sign in to the bottom of the video feed in the chat room and share your comments with other listeners. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we really want to hear from you. Uh, we think our program's better when we hear from you. So When we talk less, yes. and you talk more. That's right. Okay. All right, so... Our topic for discussion tonight is very basic truths about the church. Uh, just to try and kind of catch attention, we called it Church 101. But here are the questions we sent out earlier today to our update list, reminding you to get on our list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeu.com and say, add me to the list. Our Thursday about midday update today included these questions. What is the derivation of our English word church? What principles can be deduced from this word study? Number two, the word church is used two ways in the New Testament, the universal church and and local congregations. How does one become a member of each one? Should membership in each one be considered a necessity? Number three, how many churches are there? Universal churches are there. We're talking about the universal church. How many universal churches are there? How many were planned? How many were actually established in the first century? Number four, the church is called the body of Christ. What principles can we infer from this descriptive? Number five, is religious division and denominationalism a fulfillment of the Lord's plan or desire? And number six, salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy 2.10. We are baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.27. We are baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12.13. Following this progression, what conclusions can be reached? Seems pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's oh, it's Church 101. Yeah. No, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. Let's talk about this word, church. First question, what's the derivation of our English word, church? Well, the, the, the word that we find in our English translation, church, comes from, is, is a translation or comes from, or at least the, the, the word in the original Greek is ekklesia. And the word ekklesia literally means called out or called out ones or called out individuals. And so uh, the, the church is the, the, the called out ones. Second uh, Thessalonians 2.14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice we were called by the gospel. Some people have, uh, I think, a faulty idea of what it means to receive a call from the Lord. And they, they suggest something mysterious, better felt than told, potentially miraculous. Still small voice. Still small voice. But the, this makes it clear to us. Second Thessalonians 2.14 is that, that the calling is by the gospel. He called you by our gospel. And then First Peter 2 verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. So we've been called out of the darkness of sin into the light of the Lord. And that makes us a part of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a, a peculiar or special people. So again, I think it's, I think it's a, a probably really good to get a handle on that Greek word ecclesia. Uh, it's not a word that, you, you know, if you, if you're ever in a Spanish speaking community or go to another country where they speak Spanish, you, you see that root in the Spanish word for church is very much similar to the Greek word ecclesia. Uh, but we, in, in our English usage, we don't, we don't get to that very often. All right, let's look at what our listeners had to say about that. Kent down in Calvin, Georgia says, The word church is derived from the old English term kircha, which as as was defined as a place of assemblage for Christian worship, Christians collectively, and ecclesiastical authority. Ecclesiastical, Sorry, yeah. ecclesiastical authority or power. Regarding this word study, we note one biblical concept in this definition, the concepts of, of Christians collectively. Okay. So he's looking at the English word church. Yeah, and, so, uh, yeah, the English word church isn't similar to the Greek word at all. It's certainly not an anglicized word. Uh, and, and, and as Kent points out, our word church comes from an old English word that actually isn't even accurately describing what the church is. Uh, a place of for assemblage, uh, it can mean Christians collectively. But, you know, sometimes people refer to a building as the church, and that's not the way the Bible uses the word church. Get me to the church on time. Yeah, yeah. This The word church is referring to people who have been called out. Yeah. All right, Dwight says the Greek word for church is ekklesia, called out, First Peter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as you read, a people for a God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you for that, Dwight. And then Grant's up in uh, Franklin, Tennessee tonight. Good to hear from Grant. Grant says it's derived from kurikos, uh, meaning of or belonging to the Lord. The Greek word is ekklesia, ek, out of, klesia, a calling. What principles can be deduced from this word study? The literal meaning is to call out. The church is the New Testament scriptures means uh, in, the church in the New Testament scriptures means a called out body of people. So ecclesia is a called out of the world body of people in service to God. I think you're right, Grant. Good. Thank you, Grant. All right. Um, I, I ask what what uh, what principles might we deduce from that? So first of all. You don't get you're not a, you're not a part of this by accident. You've been called out. You've been called out to this. Uh, it suggests that there is something specific about that calling. In other words, so so the Lord called, and obviously there's a necessary response to the call right. to be a part of those who are called out of the world into the body. Of so Christ. you're saying you can't be born in the church. You can't well, be born up. That's the church my mom and dad went to. They always did, and their and their mom and dad before them. I've been a part of that church my whole life long. No, it's it's, it's not inherited. In other words, you you hear the call of the gospel, which sets forth conditions, and you respond to them. You are thus called out and become a part of. This body of people who are called out. Now, there's another angle on this as well. Some people believe that they were baptized into the church when they were infants, but when they were sort of it was a, sort of a passive thing. They didn't know what was going on. Maybe into the Catholic they, Church. They were or, baptized as an infant, or sprinkled, most likely sprinkled as. And an now infant. they're in that church, but they they couldn't hear the call how could or you respond. Be, how to could it? you be called out when you don't know what's going on? Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't comprehend the call and you couldn't respond to the call and so that even the very name ecclesia church suggests that that's that's that not a, a viable pr- process there all right eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeu.com okay so first point is really an easy one 
uh, our English word church, as as Kid says, it, our, our our word church in English actually comes from an old English word, but the word in the New Testament, the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated with our English word church is ecclesia, to be called out from. Uh, we don't know a lot of Greek words. You know, most of us are not great Greek scholars. But that's one that's worth remembering, that the church is ecclesia. What's the word for church, Kyle? Ecclesia. You got it. You got it. Boy, you're passing church 101 tonight, Kyle. All right. All right, so let's move on to our our next question. The word church is used two ways in the New Testament, the universal church and local churches. All right, so let's stop there before, before we go to any question about that. The universal, when we talk about the universal church, we're talking about all saved believers worldwide. Everybody who's truly been saved in the Lord Jesus Christ comprises a universal body of believers, and that's what we're referring to as the universal church. Now, we know that the word church is also applied to local congregations of people. For instance, the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus in the New Testament. And so the word church can be used to, to denote a local group of believers. Okay. And that being the case, then we, we have to, when we're studying the scriptures, we have to be careful to allow the context to help us understand how the word's being used in any specific case. So did you just make up this idea? I understand the idea of, like, local churches. That's pretty clear in Scripture. But did you just make up this idea of a universal church? Where are you getting that? Well, because the Scriptures describe, for instance, the universal church. He is, talk about Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church, Colossians 1, verse 18. Interesting. So, so he's the head of, of a body. He's a head of the church. Which church is he ahead of? Oh, well, he's ahead of the College U Church. And the rest of you guys, you can go find your own head because we've got him locked up here in this one little local place. No, he's the head of all Christians worldwide. And it can't be just talking about the local church. Otherwise, every local church would be a body and Jesus would be the head. That would be some kind of mutant uh Creature. Well, we're going to see here in a minute that there's really, in, when when the word church is used in the universal sense, there's just one body. Okay. It's not, not a multitude of bodies representing every little local congregation worldwide. There's just one body that's comprised of all saved believers, uh, and, and Jesus is ahead of that. Now, that universal church... That's the that's the, the the totality of the description of that universal church. There's no other organization stated in the New Testament for governing that worldwide body of believers. Jesus is the head. All the rest of of saved believers are members of that body. And there's there's no worldly organization. There's not there's not a headquarters in in Rome, Italy. Uh, there's there's not a uh, U.S. National Council with some headquarters building in New York City. There's no earthly organization of the universal church. It just simply exists in the sense that Jesus is the head and all Christians are members of his body. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. So we see that word used in the New Testament referring to local churches, and we see that in the plural but when it comes to the universal church, we see that there's one, and that's talking about the, the totality of saved believers. Yeah. Now, in the local, like like we said, in the, in the New Testament uses the word refers to local assemblies, local uh, congregations. For instance, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, the, the, that letter that we call 1 Corinthians is unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So notice, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Yeah. So that's just talking about a local congregation of people. And I think that's pretty easy to detect that it's being used in that sense. So if there, the, uh, we'll talk in a minute about one, the the, the Lord planned purpose and and built one church. But there are many congregations, even in the first century, there were many congregations. Therefore, we've got to make this distinction. We're talking about a local body of believers, a local church, or are we talking about the one worldwide body of Christ comprised of all saved believers? 
the two senses in which the word church is being used. Romans 16, 16 is a familiar passage along those lines. The churches of Christ salute you. There's multiple, there's plural. That obviously is talking about local churches, yeah. not the universal church. Exactly right. All right, now, uh, what's our time frame? L- let's, let's take a break, Jacob. When we come back, let's, let's develop this idea a little bit further. How, how, do we, how do you become a member of the universal church? How do you become a member of a local church? Let's talk about that when we get back. All right, don't go anywhere. Church 101 continues right after this. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. Here's a quick thought. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121, verse 2. What is your source of strength? The psalmist drew his strength from the Lord. And is there anything too difficult for the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth? All that you see today, he spoke into existence. He's so great, yet he cares for you. Find your strength in the Lord. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It is wise to seek wisdom. It is foolish to imagine you have already attained it. No man was ever wise by chance. Some folks are wise and some are otherwise. If you want your neighbor to know what Christ will do for him, let him see what Christ has done for you. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. Uh, We're talking about Church 101, basic principles about the church. And it's very important for us to have an understanding of this. Christ died for the church. Uh, That's how important this is. And we need to understand what it's all about. Exactly right. You know, we might just emphasize what you just said, Jacob. When When you pay a high price for something, it obviously suggests it's important. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't pay, you know, $20,000 for a new car and then just say, ah, well, uh, you know, uh, I don't care. You know, let the kids take the hammer and start beating on it, you yeah. know, and, and uh, uh, whatever. No, it's a it, 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 it's it's pretty expensive thing. If you spent a good bit of is there something. It's obviously valuable. You had to spend something significant yeah. to get it. So it's important. Well, Jesus' own precious blood purchased the church it is obviously very important. All right. What are your thoughts? Let us know in the chat room tonight. Very quiet in there. Let's uh, hear your voice in the chat yeah, room. Yeah, talk it up, guys. Uh, so the, the, the follow-up question, we talk about the two ways the word church is used in the New Testament. The follow-up question to that was, how does one become a member of each one? Well, first of all, let's talk about the universal church. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, we are all baptized into one body. Okay. So, hmm. uh, so when we are baptized, that is when we have responded to the gospel call. Remember, it's we're being called out, right? The to, to the church is the called out. So we've been called by the gospel. The gospel has actually instructed us about things that we need to do to be saved from sin. We must hear the truth and believe it, repent of our sins, confess our faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. And Paul says when we reach that point, when we have been baptized for the remission of sins, we are baptized into one body. And so I recognize that one body language again. So that makes us remember uh, Colossians one eighteen. He's the head of the body, the church. When it's, when it's talking about the body, right. that's the church. Singular, not yeah. plural. We've been baptized into one body. Yeah. So, I know you were baptized in Tennessee, Jacob. I was baptized in Indiana. I, but we're still members of that one. We were baptized by different people in different places. Mm-hmm. But we were baptized into the one into body one of Christ. Body. Yeah. Uh, and so, you get into that universal body of all saved believers by simply responding to the gospel call. And I know Paul wasn't baptized in Corinth, but no. he says we, yeah. including himself, was bab- was baptized into one body. Good point. Good point. So, uh, again, that's how you get it. And that's sort of, well, I don't, even, I don't want to even want to use the word sort of. That is actually an automatic Thing. That happens once you have responded to the gospel in humble obedience, uh, once you have gone through those steps of salvation, once you have been baptized, 
Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. So the Lord adds you by virtue of your obedience, your response to his call through the gospel. He adds you. You don't have to do anything else. You are added to that body, universal body of believers known as the church. Okay. Okay. Got it. So now let me, before we move to the next consideration, would, would membership in that be considered a necessity? Hmm. Well, hey, I, I I don't know how you could say anything, but yes, it's obviously necessary because you've got to be saved. If you're not saved, you, you're going to be lost eternally. So you've got to be saved. You've got to respond to the gospel call. You've got to be obedient. You have to be baptized into Christ. You then will be added to the church. So it's absolutely necessary to be in the church because being there indicates you've done the things necessary in order to be saved. If you're not in there, you haven't done the things necessary to be saved. It's necessary, absolutely necessary. You must absolutely and necessarily be a part of the universal body of Christ. You know, we use that language probably, and we may not think about what we're saying, but when we talk about Christians, maybe from other areas, maybe Dwight and Michelle out in Iowa, how do you describe them? They're members of... The church. Yeah. What, what? What? Are you talking about the church in in Des Moines, Iowa, or are you, something else? Well, we would say something else about Kyle. Kyle's a member of the church. Yeah, we, we're we, talking we, about the universal church. Yeah. I met a guy from Florida. He's a member of the church. Right. Which one? The, well, we're talking about the universal one church, church in that sense, right? <laughs> so, were you, yeah. yeah, that's what we, we may not be thinking about that, but that's the kind of terminology we're using there. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, but but on the other hand, we we could be referring to a local body. Uh, you know, somebody said I was in Columbia, Tennessee the other day, and I I met somebody who's a member of the church there in Columbia. Well, that that would be talking about a local body of okay. believers, right? All right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, you're baptized into the universal church. You, you're when you obey the gospel. God, the Lord adds you to the church. But on the case of a local church, there's, this is, this is a different matter altogether. You do not automatically or systematically become a part of a local church. That takes some doing, some additional doing on your part. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, Saul of Tarsus, whom we know better as the Apostle Paul, After his conversion, he returned to the city of Jerusalem, and it says in Acts 9, verse 26, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, that's an old word, he made the effort, he put forth an initiative to join himself to the disciples. And so Paul wanted to be identified as a member of that local body of believers in Jerusalem, and he took the steps, he, he made effort to let it be known what his desire was. That's an interesting text because the text tells that the that the Christians in Jerusalem were initially uh, probably quite afraid of Paul. He raised some eyebrows. But Barnabas spoke to his defense and represented him as a faithful Christian, and they took him in their number. So, so in that case, when Paul went to a new spot, he made effort to identify himself or join himself to the local body of Christ. He was proactive in that. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's some terminology involved in that. Notice, he essayed to join himself. So sometimes the question is, uh, did you join the church? Well, you don't join the universal church. The Lord adds you to the universal church upon your obedience. But you do join a local congregation by putting forth your initiative, letting it be known what your desire is, seeking to be identified as a working part of a local body of believers. Okay. Now remember, there's no organization of, there's no worldwide organization of the universal church, but there is organization of the, of the, at the local church level, uh, in Philippians chapter one, 
verse 1, mm-hmm. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops or elders and deacons. So there were Christians, elders, and deacons. That local congregation at Philippi, notice uh, he, he's writing to the saints which are at Philippi. That local church in Philippi had some local church organization. There were elders, there were deacons uh, who were uh, both overseeing and serving that local congregation. So there is organization at the local church level, which is really a good thing because elders of local churches are are given uh, the oversight, the duty to feed, uh, to protect, to, to see to the well-being of Christians. And so the organization of a local body of believers is fundamental and important the question is asked should membership be a necessity on the local church level what would you say to that well if you're going to follow a proved apostolic example you do what paul did when you yeah. go to someplace new you would want to join yourself to that church absolutely is is certainly certainly it's clear that the local church is a part of god's plan for our spiritual well-being and and therefore we should have no hesitance to desire to be a part of a local body of believers. There, there could be a caveat to this. Let's say the, that I, I'm, I'm on a ship and it's, it sinks and I'm shipwrecked on a deserted island. I'm the only one there. There's no church there. There's no local church there, obviously. It's and hard I'm to find a, a deserted desert island these days with all the hypotheticals that people are putting out yeah. there. The desert islands are filling up. Yeah, there are not many out there anymore. Yeah. But let's, but obviously a Christian would still be a member of the universal body of Christ. Yeah. He's off there in an isolated place all by himself. Yeah. Not, not of his own choosing, certainly. He's still a member of the body of Christ, but he's not a member of any local. He, he, he's there. For, let's, say, let's say he's he's shipwrecked on that island all alone for three years. For three years, he hasn't been able to participate with other Christians at a local level. He's still a Christian. He's still a member of the body of Christ, but he hasn't been a member of a local body. But that's not by his own choosing. By his own choosing, he should desire that local church affiliation and fellowship. It's really important. It's a part of God's plan for our spiritual well-being. But sometimes Christians act like, oh, well, yeah, membership in a local church is not all that big a deal. I, I, I can, I, I'll just do my own thing. And we've known people who've had that attitude, and it's wrong. And it's circumventing uh, a, a very important part of God's wisdom for our well-being. All right. All right. Uh, let's get to our listeners' answers to the question, how does one become a member of the church. One becomes a member of the church in its universal extension, Kent says, by means of obedience to the gospel of Christ. The final step as one's being baptized for the remission of sins, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, Acts 2, 38 and 47. One as a Christian becomes a member of the local church by agreement and identity, Acts 9, 26, the passage you referenced there with, with Paul. When the Ethiopian nobleman obeyed the gospel, he was baptized into the one true universal church of Christ, Acts 8, 36-40. He then had the responsibility either to locate and identify with a local New Testament church or else assist other or, or another or others in obeying the gospel and then plant a local church. The church in both the universal and local extensions are necessary. The universal church is necessary regarding our obedience to the gospel and becoming a Christian, whereas the local church is necessary in our being faithful to Christ as Christians, thank yeah. you for that. I like point. the example Kent uses there of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He, he, when he was baptized right there on the road in that desert place of Gaza, uh, he, he was added to the universal church. The Lord added him to the church. He was a saved man. He went back home to Ethiopia with the likelihood that there weren't any other Christians there. And as Kent said, you know, he certainly would want to be evangelistic, uh, teach others, convert others. And a church would no doubt form there, but probably didn't exist there initially. So for there, there was a time period where he was not a part of a local church, not by his intention, but just because of circumstance. But again, the desire should be to, 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 to develop that local church association. Good. All right. Dwight says, when one has been baptized into Christ, that is, when one puts on Christ, at the time the Lord, at that time the Lord adds us to the universal church, Acts two forty seven. Uh, and so, when we become a Christian, he says we should want to be a part of a Christian family, of the church. We should identify ourselves with that local church. Paul is an example of this in Acts nine twenty six, where he tried to join himself with the disciples in Jerusalem. 
It is necessary. The Lord adds you to the universal church, and without being a part of the local church, there would be no accountability to one another, as in Ephesians 5.21, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Yeah. So it's clear. I I like the way that Dwight put that. Uh, Obviously, you're going to be a part of the universal church by means of obedience, but it's important to be a part of the local church because, as he says, we are uh, to subject yourselves to one another. Well, if I'm not around others, I can't even have that. And Grant says the word church is used in two ways in the New Testament, the universal church and local congregations. How does one become a member of each one? The universal church, Acts 2, verse 47. Uh, The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This would occur when one is baptized into Christ Jesus for their remission of sins, Acts 6, 3 through 4, and Acts 2, verse 38. Local congregation. When one obeys the gospel, he then seeks to associate with other Christians. See the example of Saul after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Additionally, the Hebrew writer exhorts us uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking your own assembling, our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Should membership in each one be considered absolutely considered a necessity? Absolutely, Grant says, the Lord adds the saved to the universal church. In order for a Christian to fulfill his duties, he must work and worship with a local congregation, partake of the Lord's Supper, give of our means, etc. Thank you, Grant. And then finally, Mohan's up in Illinois tonight, Chile in Illinois, no doubt. He says one member, one becomes a member of the universal church by obeying the gospel, by hearing, believing, repenting, and becoming a disciple of Christ, confessing the Lord Jesus and being baptized for the mission of sins. One often becomes a member automatically of a local church that helps the person obey the gospel when the person obeys the gospel. And sometimes when they don't obey in their hometown, they would talk about their conversion to a sound church to place membership in that church. Membership in each one should be a necessity. Sometimes when there may be no local sound church, the Christian should attempt to start one in the local area through evangelism. I think you're right, Mohan. Just a little note there on what Mohan said. One often becomes a member of a local assembly automatically because that's where they obeyed the gospel. And I think that does sort of happen. It's almost sort of a a, a given, you know, that, that if a person came here to to college view and we met him and talked and studied and and he was he was convinced to obey the gospel it almost be an assumption that he'd want to be a member of the local congregation i actually think it's good even in those kind of circumstances to clarify that make sure that it, that's an understood thing okay. because that that local church membership is at my initiative yeah universal church membership is the Lord's doing. All right, Dwight and Michelle uh, in the chat room have broken the silence. Thank you, Dwight good, and Michelle. Good, good. Uh, they say, real important for Christians when they move that they look for a sound congregation to be a part of before moving. Why would one move where there is no church? Yeah. There might be, I, I agree with Dwight about that. I think that that, that Christians, should, that should be a high priority a top priority when someone's talking about relocating, maybe. And, and I've noticed some Christians even recently that had a really lucrative job offer in another city, but just weren't convinced that the church situation there was really good. And so they yeah. turned down that job opportunity, which I think is a commendable thing. I think Christians should be looking for a strong, faithful local congregation that they can identify with in whatever community they choose to live. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it, it's just it's, sometimes you you just don't have great options, but that should be a consideration. It should be up there on on top of the list ahead of, like, do they have a grocery store Yeah, <laughs> or running water? But, <laughs> hey, uh, you know, there are some who have moved places for the explicit purpose of starting a church. Exactly. And there would be nothing wrong with that. Exactly right. All right. Okay. All right. Let's get a break. Okay. When we get back, something really important we want to talk about. How many universal churches are there anyway? How many were planned? How many actually were established in the first century? Uh, are you getting all this, Kyle? This is Church 101. You take, all right. Kyle's got it. He's ready for the quiz. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Imagine this conversation in the tiny bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio, managed by Orville and Wilbur Wright. Orville says, hey, Wilbur, I've invented an engine. Let's go flying. 
Wilbur says, well, what does the engine do? Orville says, it just runs. Wilbur, does it power anything, like maybe a propeller or anything? Orville, I haven't developed a propeller yet. Wilbur, well, what about wings? Have you figured that out yet? Orville, no, I've just got an engine. Of course, such a conversation would be utterly ridiculous. When the Wright brothers made their famous flight at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, they had to have all the parts perfected simultaneously. One part without all the others would have resulted in complete failure. Now apply this simple principle to our natural world and all the living things in it. For instance, could an eagle have begun its living history with wings but no eyes? Could a man start out with a heart but no liver or kidneys? The answers are obvious. What we're describing here is a concept called irreducible complexity. This phrase was coined by author Michael Behe in a book entitled Darwin's Black Box. He powerfully argued that all of nature shows evidence of design and thus a designer. Various components of complex living organisms could not have evolved separately. They all had to come together at once by design. We know that the designer and creator of all things is God. The proof for his supernatural creation is all around us. Examining this proof also delivers a death blow to the anti-scientific theory of evolution. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And we're back on the program tonight as we uh, look at Church 101. Reminding this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And you want to check out the video feed on YouTube, not the, the virtual Bible. Well, you do want to check out the virtual Bible study video feed. Do you want to check out one more, Kyle? Yeah. Go to College View live stream or just type in College View. It should come up on your uh, YouTube browser. So yeah, a lot of good studies, a lot of good marriage. We have a marriage study on Wednesday night uh, in very in-depth on marriage. So there's a lot of good good content to accent your Bible studies. So. Yeah, we're talking about marriage. Uh, last night we we were stomping on the toes of the husbands. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk to the women, the wives in the marriage. You're going to get that done in one week? Uh, well, uh, if we don't, they'll claim that we're being oh, prejudiced okay. because we talked one All week right. about the men. If okay. we talk more than one week about the women, they'll think we're taking advantage right. of the situation. Yep. Uh, but then uh, following that, we're going to unfortunately have to talk about divorce and divorce and remarriage because that's obviously an important doctrinal question and obviously a, a deep moral uh problem in our world today through the wonders of the internet though you don't have to be in columbia tennessee to partake in that bible study you can find out uh more at the youtube feed college you live stream lots of uh, lots of beneficial study material out there uh kyle thanks for making that happen yeah all right We're all right church so 101 back to our study of the church and the very basic truths about the church Question number three we sent out today was how many churches are there in the universal sense? How many were planned? How many were actually established? Mm. This is a point that I think a lot of people really miss. And sometimes people get really confused when we give the answer that there's only one church. Only one church? Well, even in our conversation here tonight, Jake, we've talked about a number of different churches, Mm -hmm. Corinth, Ephesus, College View, the church in Des Moines where where uh, Dwight and Michelle are members, mm-hmm. and then we say, "Well, there's only one church." Man, I'm confused. How could there only be one church? These You've guys heard. are talking in circles. They're talking in circles. We're get, but again, notice when we talk about one church, we're talking about the church in the universal sense. That church, that universal church, that is comprised of all saved believers. Now, again, you become a member of that church when you. Humbly obey the simple gospel plan of salvation. If you haven't obeyed that gospel plan of salvation, then you are not a member of that universal church. If you have the Lord, if you have obeyed, the Lord has added you to that church. There's just one. In other words, he didn't, and when you were baptized, Jacob, he didn't add you to one church. And then when Kyle was baptized, Kyle got added to a different church. Yep. And, and way back when, when I was baptized, there was a different church altogether. May not even still be in existence anymore. <laughs> wow, because that, that's so old. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, that's just not the case. There's one body, one one church of all saved believers. Notice what Jesus said. What his plan was in in Matthew chapter sixteen verse eighteen. 
Jesus said, upon this rock, and the rock was his identity as the Son of God, based upon the rock of my identity as the Son of God, notice what he said, I will build my church. Notice, God emphasized the singular there. He didn't say, I will build my churches. Mm-hmm. I'll build the Baptist church, and I'll build the Methodist church, and I'll build the Lutheran church, and I'll build the Presbyterian church, and I'll build the Catholic church, and I'll build the Mormon church, and I'll build Je- the Jehovah's Witnesses churches. That would have Jesus talking in circles. Yeah. No, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, just one. And so that's what his plan was. Yeah. He, he clearly stated his plan. And the fact of the matter is, that's what... That's what eventually transpired when Jesus uh, died on the cross, was resurrected, ascended to heaven. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the apostles were inspired of the Holy Spirit. They preached the gospel of Christ. Three thousand souls were, were baptized that day. And then continuing conversions occurred. We already referenced Acts 2, verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved notice he, he so when when those when those people on the day of pentecost heard that sermon and they responded to it in obedience what church did it what, what church did the lord add them to well there was just one there's just that one church of our lord jesus christ it was comprised of those who had been obedient to the gospel but he wasn't adding them to different religious organization can you imagine that on the day of pentecost they sort of the methodists and the presbyterians and the baptists sort of got together in different corners. so here, here you and i we were we were there on pentecost and we both got we, we both were baptized yeah. hey jacob what did what church did you become a member of right. on pentecost yeah. what are you uh, i'm I, i'm a, i'm baptist yeah oh you're lutheran yeah. oh i okay okay yeah. Now, that obviously didn't happen, no, right? No, no. And so there was only one church uh, planned by Jesus. He plainly said, upon this rock, I will build my church, Matthew sixteen eighteen, And that's what happened. There was just one church. The Lord added to the church, not to churches, but to the one church. The Lord added to the church, such as were being saved. So one church was planned. And one church was the reality. Now, uh, sometimes people get really upset when we try to emphasize that point. But the, the upset is not, should not be with us. We're just echoing what the scriptures say when we, when we teach the notion of one true church. Let's see what our emailers say. All right. Uh, here's what Kent says. He says, universally speaking, there is only one true church, Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The Old Testament prophets foresaw only one kingdom or church, Daniel 2, verse 44. Yeah, uh, the, the dream was there that uh, that they would God would establish his church. Uh, Christ promised to build his, only his church, Matthew sixteen eighteen. He did not tell his followers that he would build their church, nor did, that they would build his church, but rather that he would build his church. There was only one true church in the mind of God as developed in the scheme of redemption. Therefore, there was only one true New Testament church established on the first Pentecost in Acts 2, following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Now, remember, when we say this, we're talking about that universal sense. That's why it's really important, to, and that's why we started out there. You've got to grasp that usage, universal church or local church. There's just one church in the universal sense. Church 101, and we looked at the scriptures that showed the, ter- the term used yeah. both ways. It had, to be, it had to be universal in one context, and it had to be local in another. We looked at that. And Now, maybe one point we should clarify. To be a part of that one universal body of believers... You've got to obey. You, you, you've got to respond to the call. You're called out. The call comes from the gospel. You've got to do what the gospel says. And so if someone were to say, well, I, I'm a member of that. I'm a member of, of that church uh, because my preacher told me to uh, stand on my head in the corner and recite the Pledge of Allegiance ten times. And I did that. And he said I was saved by doing that. And. No, that's that's obviously not. Acts 2, verse 47, you've got to be saved to get into that church. And, and and that goes back to what must one do to be saved. We've talked about that plenty of times on the virtual Bible study. But, you know, here, here's a guy who, who, who prayed the sinner's prayer. He thinks he's saved, but he's not. 
And the fact of the matter is, he's not a member of the one true body of believer. He's not a saved person. He 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 was told to simply pray the sinner's prayer to be saved. He's not saved. You're not saved by praying the sinner's prayer. I put on a funny hat and recited a chant. No, that's not how you say. God doesn't add you to the church. So you're not added to church until you're really saved, and you're only really saved when you do what the gospel instructs. Here's what Dwight says. Universally speaking, there's one church. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says there's one body and one spirit, just as you are called, one hope of your calling. And the body is the church, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. There was only one plant. Christ died for one church, his church that he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20 verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Acts 20, verse 28, Acts 2, verse 47, we see that the church is mentioned, not churches, plural. Thank you, Dwight, for that. Yeah. And Grant says, there's only one uh, universal church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, also I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. How many were planned? Only one universal church, Grant says. How many were actually established in the first century? There were numerous local churches established, Grant says, but there's only one universal church. Exactly right. Mohan says there's only one universal church. Thank you, Mohan. Okay. All right. Now, let's see where we're at on time. Oh, we've got to grab grab our last break, and let's go real quickly to uh, we we want to make an argument about about one body, one church. uh, Dwight touched on this. We'll we'll emphasize that again real quickly from Ephesians 4, uh, verses 3 through 6, when we come back. And then we want to talk real quickly about... What about denominationalism? Is that okay? Religious denominationalism, okay? Yeah, that's a good question to consider. It's okay in the minds of many today. What does God think about it? We'll talk about that as we go to the top of the hour right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible Deficit Disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible deficit disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new poll of high school and college students revealed that 27% of respondents said they never attend a religious service. On the other hand, 24% of young Americans said they attend church services at least once per week. That included 28% of high school students. However, weekly religious attendance was significantly lower among post-high school students at 19%. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. We're on the top of the hour with Church 101. Look at some fundamental things that the Scriptures teach us about the church. It's very important that we understand the church. Christ died for it. We need to have respect for it, and we need to understand how the word is used and what it means and how it implies has implications for us in our lives. In, in Dwight's email, he, he made this argument. I, th- I think it's one we got to really stress about the reality of just one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Obviously, we're talking in the universal sense there. Ephesians 4, be, beginning verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body. And just like there's one spirit called one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one one body. Now, in the same epistle, earlier in the same epistle, Paul said in Ephesians 1, verse 22, God hath put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So, Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body. Ephesians 1 says that the body is the church. If if there's just one body and the body is the church, how many churches are there? 
There's just one church. Okay. Now, people get really upset when we talk about the fact that there's really just one church. But that's what the Scripture says, and we have to accept that reality. All right. Um, that's, that is what the Scriptures teach, uh, and that's the way the, the word is used over and over again uh, in the singular here. And we had asked a question. Uh, when the church is called the body of Christ, what principles can we infer from this descriptive uh Kent in Georgia says, such is comparable to the human body. There's one spiritual body of Christ comprised of individual members. But notice, one head, one body. You, you alluded to this earlier, Jacob. It's not like one head and then hundreds of different bodies all hanging off of that one head. And there's like new bodies that get attached to it every day as they yeah. make up these human denominations. No, there's just one one head and one body. Again, we're talking about that body being the universal church of our lord jesus christ grant says the body of christ states that it belongs to christ it is of christ not man it is singular the body christ's blood purchased it not man's also only those who have put on christ can be part of the body of christ galatians 3 verse 27 thank you grant okay no, that's not Grant. That's Dwight. Well, that was Dwight. That oh, was Dwight. That sorry, was, Dwight. I was, well, you've thrown me off there. Well, okay. here's what Grant had to say about yeah. it. Uh, in this figure, there is one head and one body. The body must be in complete subjection to the head, Christ. The head does not have many bodies in which the head is giving different directions to numerous bodies. The body complies with all the commandments of the head. Exactly right. Lots Grant. of good ones there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah really I don't. Know. Which which foot did you tell time. to move? You know, which, which no, it's one body, one head. And um, the body will comply. Yeah, and there's what Grant Sanser had lots of things we could dwell on there, but we've got to hurry on for time. Finally, Mohan, we infer that a Christian is not an isolationist or a hermit, but as a body works together with fellow Christians to fulfill many of God's plans. Also, that body has one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank okay. you, Mohan. Good, good points. Good. All right. All right. We asked. Okay, with all of this having been said, then what about the idea of that exists in the religious world today? What about religious? denominationalism you know the religious world is all divided up all uh, among people who self-identify as christians we're all divided up it's we're all over the place and the people embrace that yeah like it's a good thing yeah intend the church of your choice find a good church whatever you think it is oh by the and by the way they even use that term like join the church of your choice you know well, there's just one church, and the Lord adds you to that church. You don't really have a choice. Now, you have a choice about local congregation uh, uh, membership. But in regards to the church that you're a member of, in the sense of what you believe and practice, what you've done to be saved, there's only one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think we've shown that. That that argument was just offered from Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 1. says there's just one body of true believers. Well, let's clarify what you said, though. You didn't say that all denominations make up that one body of of Christ. You're saying there is one church of Christ. There's not all these other denominations that are acceptable to Christ. Exactly right. The the Lord uh, desired there to be one body of one universal body of saved believers. Mm-hmm. He prayed about that in John seven verse twenty one. John seven verse twenty one. Jesus prayed that they that they that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus prayed for unity of his followers. That, that prayer is not being fulfilled today as men are satisfied right. with religious division and denominationalism. Yep. Uh, Paul told the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so I don't know how the cell job happened, but somehow people were, were convinced that believing, practicing, doing, identifying all different things religiously is okay. It's not. I don't know how it happened. It's a lie of the devil. Yeah. And then people have bought into that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does not harmonize with, this, with what the scriptures Now, we've talked about denominationalism on the virtual Bible study before. And so uh, this is just, uh, we're obviously just very slightly touching on that subject. But I thought we should throw that into the discussion to show that the whole notion of that is contrary to the concept of church. The, the idea of church, one body, 
is so so much different than the notion of religious denominationalism. Uh, and if if we had a better notion of what the Lord planned for the church, I think we'd be more strongly opposed to denominationalism. Well, that's along the lines of what Kent said. Religious denominationalism does not exist as the plan of God. It is therefore sinful. He references John 17, verses 20 through 25. The prayer of Jesus, yeah. Jesus wants us to be one, unified, and that is not the picture you have in the religious world today. And uh, Dwight says, absolutely not is the Lord uh, uh, satisfied, uh, does it fulfill his plan. He said the Lord's church is not a denomination. Denomination is an actual division, and the Lord condemns division in his church, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. That we all, he, uh, that Paul says he wants us to all agree that there be no divisions among us. Uh, so it goes back to the singularity of the body. There are hundreds of different denominations in the world today, all having different creeds and doctrines. The Lord died for one church, his church, and how dare we put a man's name or a made-up name on the church Jesus purchased with his blood. And Mohan, we had a lot of listeners uh, thinking in the same direction. Mohan says, no, denominationalism is not a fulfillment of the Lord's plan or desire. He he references, as we have, uh, several of us did, 1 Corinthians one ten, John 17, verses 20 and 21. Those are the same verses that Grant and Franklin had mentioned as well. Uh, those are two critical verses, uh, Matthew, John 17, 20 and 21, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. And ask yourself, does that... Uh, picture that is painted in those two verses, John 17, 20 and 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Does that picture represent what you see in the religious world today? And if not, then something needs to change. Yeah, and we uh, did we mention what Mohan said on number five? You did. Uh, well, no, I thought you, you read Grant and uh, said it was Mohan. Oh, I, I read Grant. Well, we, sorry, Grant, we've been misidentifying you badly here tonight. Yep, and Mohan says, no, since the Bible condemns divisions, God wants us to be united since we're part of one body. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Finally, the last question was, well, I'm not even going to read the question. I'm just going to go through this progression because it, it, I, I think it helps clarify this a little bit. So first, salvation is in Christ. Second Timothy 2.10, the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So notice, salvation is in Christ Jesus. So you've got to be in Christ to be saved. Mm-hmm. We are baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you've got to be in Christ to be saved. You are baptized into Christ, and then, notice, we're baptized into the one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So notice that progression. Salvation is in Christ. We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into the one body. So if you are in Christ, if you're a saved person who's been baptized into Christ, then you must necessarily be a part of that one body, that one universal body of saved believers that we've been talking about uh, in our study tonight. All right. Here's what uh, Kent said quickly as we're out of time. The New Testament, is bapti- that New Testament baptism is essential to salvation from sin, and that one, when one receives scriptural baptism, one is baptized into the one true church of Christ. Such is the case because the church was purchased by the blood of Christ, Acts 2, verse 28. And then uh, Dwight says, there's one church, it belongs to Christ, he purchased it, not man. What We do what he wants and commands, not man. Finally, Grant uh, says, uh, salvation is in Christ, Second Timothy 2, verse 17, we're baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 27, we're baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Following this progression, oh, that's what you said. He said, salvation is in the church. You must be a member of the church in order to be saved. And Mohan says we have to be baptized in order to be in Christ and his body. Exactly right. A couple comments from the chat room quickly as we conclude tonight. Dwight and Michelle, with the transfiguration in Matthew 17, the apostles wanted to make tabernacles for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Verse 5, uh, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. We need to listen to God's son, not the Baptist doctrine, etc. Okay. Yeah, good. Okay. And then finally, Robert says, I think many get caught up with 
Church of Christ, capital C in church, rather than the Church of Christ, lowercase c in church. Yeah, you know, that has been a point that we, I don't know, some people have actually sort of poked fun at us for doing that, but very often when we're talking about the Church of Christ, we use a small c because we're not, we're not using that phrase Church of Christ as a denominational distinction. It's actually a description. It's the church of Christ. It's the church that belongs to Jesus. It's not a denominational term. We're not trying to use that phrase as a denominational distinction. You know, we're not saying you got the church of Christ here, and you got the Baptist church here, and the Lutheran church here, and the Methodist church here, and the Presbyterian church. No, we're we're just saying there is a church that belongs to Jesus. That's the church I want to be a part of. Right, and and it's going to follow what Jesus said. Yeah. And that's what what the goal is, to be a part of that church, not a part of a denomination. Yeah, but I think Robert is right. I think a lot of people get this idea of the Church of Christ being a denomination and being something different than what it really is. Maybe that, that universal church being oh, activated I wish we as had a whole. Spent, I'm glad Robert brought that to our attention. I wish we'd spend a little more time emphasizing that. When we talk about the Church of Christ... We are talking about that universal body of believers. We're not talking about a denomination. We're talking about the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus. It is that universal body of saved believers. And that's the goal that we're trying to imitate. We want to be a member of that church. Exactly. And if you've got questions about that, maybe some folks listening tonight, that may be a foreign concept, that you could just be Christians. You could just be following the New Testament. You don't have to be a part of a denomination or a synod or uh, any type of presbytery or anything like that that you're just part of the church that christ died for yeah. you got questions about that we'd love to have the opportunity yeah. to talk with you about sure that. absolutely all right good discussion tonight kyle thanks for helping out any comments uh, tonight good. these could be hard sayings for someone these are hard things people to understand they've been taught something their whole life so it's it is a, it is to, maybe foreign concept yeah. to some so yeah i think it takes some honest study and setting some pride aside and just make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do so it's just it's a good study. All right. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, and Dad, thank you for a good discussion. Thanks, Shane. And uh, if you've got a question about what you've heard, again, questions at collegeview.com, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, questions at collegeview.com. And we hope you have benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word tonight. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.